Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we are in week 5 of Path 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm Jamie Trussell and really excited to be joined this week by our senior pastor, Kenan Vaughn. Well, good morning, Kenan. Glad you could be here. Thanks, James. Glad to be here. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are ending this section of the gospel journey about halfway through here and it begins with what can be if you uh, attempt to dive into all the details uh, not only a confusing area of theology or biblical study but also a highly debated one and uh, we just want to keep in mind that the essentials of this idea of the day of the lord uh, the the bare essentials on this we can all hold as christians so this idea that jesus is coming back that that coming back is a day of judgment for unbelievers. It's a day of reigning and ruling with Jesus for believers. And the other component of that that Paul stresses, no one knows when this is going to happen. Now, uh, KV, would love to hear your insight on how have you helped navigate, because this could be an easy thing for groups to get sidetracked on. Have you ever been in situations, or how do you navigate these areas of theology that can be easily be debate, debated and distracting and try to keep that uh, uh, centered around what's essential to belief. Yeah, I think that it's important even right out of the text when uh, Paul's writing, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. So first there's an assurance, like you said, that Jesus is coming, the day of the Lord, when the um, those who are saved by grace through faith will receive their inheritance in the Lord once and for all. And those who are separated in their sin and unrepentance will receive judgment once and for all. And that day's coming, and he says it's coming like a thief in the night. The mm -hmm. idea is we don't know when it's coming. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of eschatological debate about um, trying to figure out when Jesus is coming. And and you can you can try to put um, some things together, as you depending on your interpretation of the book of Revelation, whether you're taking it literally and how much uh, is talking about the church in the early the first century church versus uh, the church just before Jesus comes. And, and there's interpretive differences. It's, it's, it's hard to nail down exactly. So one thing I try to think through uh, anytime I'm thinking through this personally or with guys I'm discipling or certainly with our church is, uh, as you started with, keeping what's essential, essential. He is going to return. How then shall we live in light of the fact that we know he's coming? I think it's a it's a healthy conversation to to be able to understand sure. uh, the signs of the times. He he says here, um, you know, be aware he's going to give he's going to give instruction of mm -hmm. how to live uh, in preparation for Christ's coming. So I think it's just important to recognize that none of us know. Don't hold too tightly to what man can't hold tightly to. Uh, don't get caught up in um, the details that we're not meant to know and miss. What we are meant to know, which is how we can live in a way that honors the Lord until he does come. And I think something you mentioned that is a great segue, I mean, it's a segue Paul makes, so congratulations, Kenan. Paul agrees with you. That verses 4 through 8 are... First time I've ever been right. Though. There you go. <laughs> that 4 through 8 is exactly what you just said. In light of what is essentially true, Paul gives practical instruction about what that means for a Christian. And... And just to pause there and say, just because we may say that the details aren't the essentials, that doesn't mean that this area of theology is unimportant or impractical. In fact, how we view the end of all things with Jesus returning, it drives some of the most practical components of how we live. And that's what Paul starts in on verse 4. Now, 
uh, it can be a little confusing because he talks about day and night and light and dark. And just up front to say, those are thematic words for Paul here. Darkness and night is is thematic for someone who lives in unrepentant sin or unrighteousness. Light and day is language used for those who have come to know Christ and are seeking to to walk and live in righteous ways. And he does give some specifics there, but big picture, how things are going to end, Kenan, Paul wants us to know that that determines our daily living in the present. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, uh, he comes out of the. He doesn't give us maybe all we would want right here. When you're, if you're, if you're wanting to do a deep eschatological study, you only get a little here. He mm-hmm. says um, people are saying there's peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them. Of course, destruction coming upon those who are living in unrepentant sin at the time Christ comes will be sudden. And as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman, same same um, language Jesus uses in Matthew 24 when the disciples ask him. When he will come again, he said there will be um, uh, labor pains. Uh, and I've, uh, having had seen my wife give labor, go into labor five times and deliver uh, about labor pains, we know they get more intensive, they get more, uh, uh, they speed up, and then they end up in a delivery. If it's true labor, you're going to have a baby at the end of it. If it's not the the uh, the false labor, and so Jesus says when there's certain things that are beginning to happen, and he talks more about those in Matthew uh, 24 and. And uh, in the book of Revelation, you know that uh, a delivery is coming. Jesus Christ will come. Rev 19 will happen. The heavens will, heavens will open and he will appear. And he says about, that's about all he says right here. He that's just right. says the labor pains will start. There'll be no escape for those who are in unrepentant sin. Mm. And then he says, but you. And so that, that's critical. So now for the believer, for the believer, but you're not in darkness. So like you just said, darkness there represents the one who's in unrepentant sin. He calls you brother here. You're not in darkness, brothers. For that day uh, to surprise you like a thief. So we are only going to be so surprised. Like, of course, we don't know when he'll come, but we do know he's coming. There are some in unbelief that that do not believe that to be true. Right. Uh, We're not ignorant of the way the book ends. He will come. We know that. There is a way we live in light of that. So then he gets to verse, well, he says in verse 5, you're children of light, children of the day. Uh, we're not of the night, not of the darkness. We're, I mean, we're not in rebellion. We're not uh, just seeking to be satisfied in and of this world. And so then, verse 6, now he's going to give what you're talking about, Jimmy, the practical implication of how the one whose eyes are open to the truth of Christ coming to reign ought to live. Yeah, and it, it is almost summed up uh, in this idea of stay awake and be self-controlled. Mm-hmm. So live in awareness of what's happening, what's happening not only outside of you but inside of you. And be self-controlled. And that idea of self-control, if we really take that to heart and ask for a uh, spirit-empowered life of self-control, a lot of our sin will be dealt with and victory uh, will be had in those areas. And and specifically as it relates to, and and, and just to back up to to last week in in 1 Thess 4, uh, Paul only corrects this, this church in Thessalonica on two things. One, their view of the end times, just to try to, they've had some funky stuff creep in about life after death, and he corrects that a little bit. The only other thing he really rebukes them for is sexual immorality and impurity. And self-control goes goes along with that. And what happens is at times, uh, if we listen to our cultural messages or even to our own bodies, our bodies almost become deified as if our bodies are desirous of something, so we have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's almost we live under, we're, we are controlled by a master inside of us that is our flesh. Mm-hmm. And, and what Paul says, if you really want to live a life in preparation for the return of Jesus, uh, set your sights internally before setting them externally. 
and, and asking the spirit, I need victory over the impulsive cravings and desires of my flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's talking about those who sleep, sleep at night, get drunk or drunk at night. Verse 8, when he says, but since we, so now he's contrasting us from those who just merely live according to the flesh and pursue that which the flesh desires and that which ultimately leads to despair and death. Let us, again, being different, belonging to the day, let us be sober. And he's not just talking, I don't think, about um, not being drunk on wine right here. I believe he's being wise unto the times. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so let's be sober, having put on, and, and we get this little mini armor of God here, mm-hmm. breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And I, I love this, the idea of, of putting on these things, I mean, that we're to, um, that we're to be reminded of, um, of a faith that we've been given, of a love that we're meant to give in response to our faith, and of a helmet which is, the hope of salvation. Now look what Paul says in 9. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, That's right. but to obtain salvation. This is meant to be the hope of the believer. Mm-hmm. That even though, like you said, that flesh still beckons, the flesh dies hard, there's days when I might otherwise be given over to my flesh, except I am with the breastplate of faith and love on, uh, um, protected from myself uh, to live uh, according to the Spirit, and my hope is that God's destined me not for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about that uh, again when we get to our kind of conclusion here in verse 23, but he's going to ultimately say, God will get you there. Take hope, That's believer. Right. Live soberly, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but know that you're not alone. The God who saved you will keep you until he raises you up. And one thing I'm always encouraged by and you you see it here in this theme and it's one of the things that honestly it keeps me convinced that the bible really is true you got this beautiful unity of the scripture and i don't think it's too far to say that john's message which we're preaching his gospel right now at harvest in chapter one that jesus is the light and the life of all men that when god spoke in genesis one said let there be light that that Paul is picking up on that, that Paul is picking up on the fact that Christ is the light of the world and his children live underneath that light. It illuminates who we are and shows us how we should follow him as we wait for his return. It's true. And, uh, and, and, and in that illumination and in that hope of salvation, he gives us a therefore in 11. And uh, there's just this, um, he, he sets our hope in a salvation that is of God and through God, and the, the, the God who saved us will keep us. And then he said, and there, that elicits in us some kind of a response. There's, you know, welling up in me a gratitude that mm-hmm. leads to desire to serve him. He says, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you're doing. So we're not meant to go this thing alone. Part of being sober, being of the day and not the night, being awake till Christ comes, is to remind each other of how we're meant to live, to to encourage one another lo- along, to keep our sights set on Christ. That's what I appreciate about you, Jamie. And working with guys like you and um, having you around in the office is there's guys that can check on me, that can pray Mm -hmm. for me, that can see things that may be concerning in my life and say, hey, you all right? Are you thinking straight? What's going on in this? How's your marriage doing? How's your priorities? Are you getting too into, you know, youth sports? Whatever it is. And um, there's other times you're diagramming plays with me and there's other times (laughs) you're rebuking me. So there's a fine line right there. But I need those brothers to keep me, uh, to encouraging me um, to live a life in light of his coming. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I did have something I want to talk to you about. I don't know if now's <laughs> a good time or not. Yeah, just after the podcast would <laughs> be great. Uh, but, but to the point in 11, and I'm so glad you brought it up, there is a community, uh, there is a plural community aspect to this deal. 
and you may be getting that in your gospel journey group. Uh, uh, you may be getting that in D.C. here at Harvest, or you may need to jump in a Sunday school class, whatever it may be. It's going to be hard to faithfully wait on the Lord alone. We just weren't designed uh, for that, and that's not how what God has even envisioned as far as the local church goes as it's played out in the New Testament. And so we do want to, because we ourselves and uh, our people, we want to wait on the Lord faithfully. We, we want to encourage each other's towards the lines of waiting that God's prescribed. And that certainly is communal uh, that mm-hmm. we see here in verse 11. Now we move towards uh, Paul's conclusion mm-hmm. to this uh, letter, to his first letter to this church at Thessalonica, most likely written on his second missionary journey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Paul's going to get down to some, some practicals of, I would just call daily church life mm-hmm. for this group of people. And we, we see it even begin here in, in verse 12. We ask you, brothers and sisters, and I'm reading the CSB this morning, I think, Ken, you had the ESV mm-hmm. earlier, if, yeah. if it reads a little differently. But, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, I want to press pause there because we have, a, we have wonderful, loving people here at Harvest. I've, I have only felt uh, uh, supported and encouraged. Uh, not that we hadn't had hard conversations along the way with some people, but it, it, God has been gracious mm-hmm. with the people we have here. Here's an interesting part, though, about leadership. It, it says they labor among you, they lead you, but admonish you. Now, that's not necessarily the fun part of church mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. but it is one we take very seriously, and not mm-hmm. because it's a power play mm-hmm. from church leadership mm-hmm. to, to lay people or to church members, but you don't really love someone unless you're willing to tell them what they need to hear, not just what they want mm-hmm. to hear, mm-hmm. and we have to take sin seriously and the calling it out in the lives of one another. Yeah, that's really part of the privilege of membership, and I tell folks considering joining our church or just when I'm talking about the importance of joining a church that I say, look, in a moment of sanity, when you're in your right mind and you're responding faithfully to God's work of grace in your life, you're saying, hey, I need to put myself with some believers who are going to pursue Christ together and under some godly leaders who will uh, shepherd my soul, who will care about me, like Mm -hmm. legitimately care about me, not just count me as a number, but care and who will as a good parent who really loves a child uh, when, a, when you know when a when a child is um, uh, going his own way, whether that's in ignorance or rebellion? A loving parent doesn't just say, "Ah, good luck." Uh, he, right. he lovingly uh, teaches, exhorts, admonishes, um, rebukes, and corrects. And uh, we need to shepherd the flock well. First Peter five and Hebrews thirteen give that charge to the leadership. That's right. And um, and so it's a privilege. Is a you know I'm both an elder here, but I'm also a member. And I'm thankful for other elders that if, 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 if I need more eyes on my life than just my own, and I'm thankful to know that in those sane moments when I submit myself to their care, if there are insane moments that may follow where I am in the flesh or am not pursuing the Lord faithfully, that there are those who care enough about me to admonish me. So it's a great privilege. I often will share just the simple illustration that we've all probably seen on the Discovery Channel when, when, uh, when those lionesses hunt. They always are trying to isolate mm-hmm. the little uh, antelope or, or gazelle or whatever it is that they're planning to eat. And when they get one alone is when is when they're going to feast. And uh, and our enemy would love to get us in isolation. That's and right. a true community is with other believers. It's under godly leaders who love you enough to tell you the truth in love about what they see in your life. And sometimes, of course, that's admonishing because none of us have yet arrived uh, in a glorified state of no sin, no wrong thinking. And I do think... What Paul has here in verse 12 and 13, he lays it out for leadership, and th- these things are true of what the leadership of the church needs to do. 
and, and they do it in almost, maybe in a unique, nuanced way. And yet, they're not the only ones responsible for some of this work. And that's where he goes into verse 14. And so while elders or pastors may be uniquely responsible in in the way some of this plays out, there is still a congregational responsibility in exhorting each other towards Christ-like living. That's Mm -hmm. what he says. We exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. There's a congregational responsibility in ministering yeah. to one another. It may not be the exact same way that eldering or uh, plays out, but uh, we are hoping it's impossible for only church leadership to minister to everybody we have here mm-hmm. at this church. And so the gospel journey groups are a great place for this, but we are counting on our members to take seriously this idea that they are ministering and exhorting one another. Absolutely. And um, both from what we say, you know, Colossians 4, having our conversation seasoned with salt, and Paul writing to Ephesus to speak the truth in love, uh, in the way we, and you see that in here, like, like we urge you brothers, we're, we, they're false, as Paul says, we need to be compelled to do this with one another. It's, there's no lording something, a right, a self-righteousness over somebody. There's no, uh, there's no spirit of judgmentalism. This, this is literally, um, those who are, know their weakness and in their weakness, Christ is strong and they depend on him and they're helping others to depend on him. They're beggars helping other beggars know where to find bread. Mm. And there's help the weak. There's admonish the adult. There's encourage the faint heart. And there's the recognition in that. That, that you're not always the strong one. Uh, I'm not always going to be the one point. looking out for everybody else. I will be sometimes the idle, the that's faint-hearted, right. and the weak, and the one that needs patience. And so this is a great kind of, this is how we live with one another, because we are all at times idle, faint-hearted, and weak. And that's why it's so important to be in community. And uh, and by the way, this checklist, if I don't, if, if you don't mind allowing me to kind of make a transition here, Jamie, yeah, this, this checklist is awesome. And ought to be at the f- forefront of our minds, but it, it, it and you know I can kind of swallow verse fourteen, uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint, or help the weak. That's kind of trending along the same theme, and I'm understanding that. Then he says, "See, no one repays evil for evil." I'm going okay, and kind of log that away. Then seek to do good to one another. I'm like, wow, that's kind of a lot right there. And then rejoice <laughs> always, and pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And it just kind of builds and builds, and it's a great list to to kind of evaluate uh, or take inventory of how we're doing in living in community but but it, it does become a, a little extensive and overwhelming no absolutely and, and i love i just want to make this point i love it don't quench the spirit don't despise prophecies test everything hold fast abstain every form of, but then that's the that's the kicker to abstain from every form of evil so at the end of it all do no evil and so right there i'm pretty waylaid and i'm just very thankful that first test doesn't end with verse 22 <laughs> that, that I need every one of those um, uh, uh, exhortations from Paul. I, I need the list. I need to have some guidance and focus to how I love my brothers. But then I love verse 23. Now may the God of peace, which in the midst of kind of feeling a little bit overwhelmed right there, God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's right. In other words, as you uh, inadequately pursue this list and incompletely and selfishly and at times with wrong motives and at times sinfully, let the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. 24, he who calls you is faithful, mm-hmm. he will surely do it. Mm-hmm. When you're going, geez, I can't do all that perfectly, Paul's going, no, you can't. But he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. What a great um, just gospel um, nugget there to end the, the book on. Yeah, it's encouraging. It's hopeful mm-hmm. that it would end that way. I do want to... Uh, one, one thing you mentioned, it's in the it's in the list above, and I think it is a really important discipleship gospel journey group 
question or moment or, or even lesson, however you want to phrase that up, but uh, I'm sure you have, as I get asked routinely, I just want to know what God's will for my life is. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what God's will for my life is. Well, Paul talks about that twice in First Thess. The second time he does it is here. And he talks about rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus. And, and, and just uh, maybe a quick couple minutes on this of going, when the Bible talks about God's will, generally speaking, it is a thousand, it's a 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. It is a, uh, God's ultimate will for his children is they become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Christ likeness. And what can be frustrating in that is when the questions usually ask, it is asking, what job should I take? Who should I marry? What school should I send my kids to? Well, it, important questions, good questions, grateful that people want to be submitted to God in those areas. But the Bible doesn't necessarily uh, present itself as answering all of those questions. Mm-hmm. Use wisdom, whatever it may be, but God's will. But the, I guess what I'm getting to is the hopeful, fun part about this answer to that question is there's a lot more freedom mm-hmm. in those other areas of life than I think we let ourselves experience. Yeah. I think it's been helpful to me to think in terms of when um, things are right or wrong decisions versus right or left decisions. And I think that there's mm-hmm. a lot of times in our Christian life, the Word of God outlines um, pretty extensively what what is sinful and what is the design of God um, in terms of our our morals and in terms of our marriages and in in terms of our uh, dying to our own flesh. I mean, there's lists in different epistles that talk about those things that are sinful and uh, not honoring to God or our uh, fellow man. And and so we, we have an idea of right and wrong, but a lot of times you know, where do I go to college? <laughs> yeah. That, that, a lot Auburn. of times, yeah, I mean, well, obvi- obviously, yes. and what chapter is that in, Jamie? That's six. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Six. Right. We'll get to that next week, the War Eagle edition of our podcast. But I would say um, that uh, a lot of times those decisions which can really stress us out, I think we take them to the Lord in prayer for sure. I think we can feel a, a leading from the Lord and a peace from the Lord. Yep. But a lot of times there is freedom. To, there's right or left decisions. Wherever you go to college, you can honor the Lord there. Yep. You can do what's clear in Scripture at those places. You can live a life consecrated unto God. You can share the gospel with other people. You can enjoy him and behold Jesus and shine the light of the gospel in that place. So so a lot of times we get stressed out or feel anxiety over the right or left things when— um, Absolutely. Yeah, when when, when really we uh, have the privilege of freedom in those areas. That's exactly—yeah, and I hope that— People receive that as a word of encouragement. When someone first taught me that years ago, I felt an incredible sense of freedom come over me to know that, okay, I'm not going to completely blow my life up depending on what job I take, that there is ability to serve God in all of these contexts. Uh, we, we move towards close. It's the uh, favorite verse of every single's ministry. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. That's culturally contextual in this moment. We shake hands or... Maybe a good, solid Christian side hug in our harvest culture. But he says in verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. Uh, it, that seems like a small point, but I, honestly, I've started doing this with guys that I'm meeting with. We read an entire book out loud from start to finish in these smaller letters because that's the way it was written to be read, and that's the way this original audience— and, and, I would encourage these gospel journey groups to, to take a meeting and, and let each person read a chapter till you finish one of these smaller epistles. You, you just hear it. You hear it in the flow and fullness in which it was originally intended, and sometimes you miss it when it's broken up in sections. So I would encourage you. Uh, that's certainly not a 
you know, you have to do practice, but I would encourage that practice. At least try it once and see if the Spirit doesn't use it to minister. Kenan, grateful that you were here with us this week. Any final thoughts on First Thess 5? No, I appreciate what you said there about, about seeing a letter in context. And sometimes we, when we shine the light a little too close, we, we, we miss the, the big picture. And, and yes, with a, with a letter like this, let me just, just reiterate what you just said. To be able to read it all, you can read 1 through 5 in a sitting in probably 10 minutes. And, and from beginning to end, when Paul is at the beginning saying, we give thanks to God for you always, remembering you in our prayers and before God, for we know, brothers loved by God, he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit in full conviction. And then at the end, he's saying, the God of peace himself will completely sanctify you and uh, your whole spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless. He calls you. He will do it. You just have the bookends of God's faithfulness. Mm. And in the midst That's is good. the struggle of how, how then we live. And so seeing it in context really does uh, bring to light, I think, what's most essential. Well, we hope this has been a blessing to you. Uh, We look forward to next week when we begin our walk through 2 Timothy chapter 1.